Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode 39 of Pigskins and Nylon, presented by Cavies.com, the best Delta date edible on the market. Today is Sunday, November 14th. We actually have a full house here today. All three of us are back together. Get to talk a little college football and maybe a little recap of the first week of college basketball as well. Hayden, Casey, how are you guys doing today? I'm actually doing fantastic today, Wally. I went to Starbucks to get a coffee this morning, and they gave me a free sandwich. So I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, yesterday was fun. There were a lot of good games on. Um, Yeah, just looking forward to the show, man. Free sandwiches anywhere is just kind of the recipe for a good start to a day. So, Casey, stay hot. Hayden, how's things going over on your end? We know you got basketball started. How are you staying busy? Yesterday was the worst day of my life. Why? What's going on, man? I had to miss the Ohio State game to go to a basketball practice, so. Oh, God. Yeah, we, we knew it was quiet in the group text, but wasn't sure what was going on. Figured you were busy with something. But that is, yeah, that's uh, that's suboptimal. No, that, that's And great. on top of that, they scheduled meet the team Saturday night at 7 o'clock. So my whole Saturday was shot. Bummer. That does suck. I didn't know that they did meet the team for winter sports. Me either. That's nasty. Were you able to at least see the first slate of games, or was practice that like awkward time you had to miss to start or end of the noon games too? I got to watch the Michigan Penn State game, which was boring as hell. That's it. I I think I got to watch like the first couple drives of Ohio State. Well, at least we were scoring early and often in the game, so the little bit you saw, I'm sure, was at least entertaining. But that's good. We can actually swing on over, start talking a little bit about Big Ten basketball before we do that. The Buckeyes, by the way, looking shaky so far, maybe in the basketball realm. But last night at least made me feel a lot better. The other thing is, Casey got to see it last week while we were on the same show together. And then I did it on my NFL podcast too. But I have a disease now where I want to call Denzel Burke Trey Burke. And I can't stop doing it. And it's it's a problem, and I'm really not sure how to fix it. But naturally, we'll start going into basketball, and that'll make it a lot easier. Week one takeaways from the Big Ten season, guys. Everyone looks like they're taking care of their business for the most part. We still only have the two losses in conference. Michigan State losing to Kansas, and Nebraska losing to the mighty Western Illinois, whatever. I, I don't know. They're probably Bulldogs. What was your main takeaway from the first week beyond the fact that we're seeing a lot of wins naturally like we do every single year? Is it an individual team or a player? For me, there are, there are just a couple of teams that are kind of working through some kinks right now. Uh, obviously, you mentioned Ohio State's looked a little shaky. Uh, Rutgers has as well. Rutgers hasn't looked very good. Maryland squeaked out a win on Thursday. Kind of played a little bit closer of a game yesterday. But, I mean, like you said, there's only two losses within the conference, so I don't think you can really complain that much. You know, for for Michigan, I they, they might be the best team in the conference, and I don't really know if this year there's much debate about that. But if their free throw shooting does not get better, it's going to cost them. They shot 53% from their free throw line last night and then 60% from the free throw line in their first game, and they're getting like 25 to 30 shots from the free throw line. So it's not like they're only shooting 10 times. So that's been a concern for me for the the Michigan Wolverines basketball team so far this year. We were even talking through text the other day about how last year, surprisingly, they had the number one in the Big Ten free throw shooting percentage. 
and 27th in the country, and to see it fall off so hard. So, what, I guess this early in the year, got to hope that they can address that and fix that, because that is going to... I mean, that's the kind of recipe to get you eliminated early in the NCAA tournament to a team that gets hot one day. Hayden, we haven't got to talk to you yet this year about basketball. Do you have anything you want to say from a preview part two? You can, but outside of that, what was your big week one takeaways? I can't believe EJ Liddell fouled a guy shooting a three-pointer against Akron, and he made it, and he made the free throw. And I thought Ohio State was going to lose. What are you doing? Like, that dude is not a young guy. Like, you have to know. I mean, the guy just jacked up a three. You have to live with if he's going to make that shot, I guess, or not. But uh, you you can't foul him because you put your team in a spot where they – I was looking at the ESPN win projection thing. After he made the free throw, it was like 90-some percent Akron chance to win. Like, you can't do that to your team. Especially, that was your fifth foul. Like, imagine if you would have missed the free throw and it would have went to overtime, and you don't have your best player on the court for the whole overtime. It would have could have changed the game. It would have been a huge, I guess I'm going to call it the preseason loss for Ohio State, really. I mean, that would have been a big X when it comes to February and March. You know, if they're close to being a bubble team or something like that, and you have a loss to Akron, that could make a big difference. Well, and even the Niagara game, the first 30 minutes, Niagara hung tough with the Buckeyes. The last 10 minutes, Buckeyes kind of showed their their might a little bit, were able to pull away, and were up 10 pretty much the rest of the game. But it's even so, these are the kind of games early on in the year you want to see guys kind of emerge as a second threat, and we haven't seen that yet. EJ Liddell, I want to say at 15 of the first 21 points the Buckeyes had, and didn't even look like they were trying to find another score early in that Niagara game. Naturally, it's on Big Ten Plus. We can only see so much of that and kind of have to work with what we got. But outside of that, the the big takeaway for me is, once again, it's Bryce McGowan's. He's going to have a massive statistical year. It's just a shame for him that his team around him is not very good. In that final five minutes, Bryce and Trey McGowan's actually combined for 13 of the final 14 points. And it took all of that just to put away another weak non-conference team. I thought Nebraska had a shot at the beginning of the year to potentially may have a threat to be a tournament team with Bryce McGowan's. And this early start doesn't make me very encouraged. This team's going to struggle in Big Ten play this year, especially if any teams are able to slow up Bryce McGowan's even a little bit. And that was really my major first week takeaway from the college basketball slate. I was wondering if we could hear um, Hayden's little predictions of the basketball preview that we did. Absolutely. Three little questions there. Yeah, so I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. We had, who is your conference winner? Who is... Yep, regular season. Regular season conference winner. We had, who is your best player in the Big Ten? And who is the most unheralded, the most underappreciated player in the Big Ten? And I think we threw in best freshman, did we not? We also threw in best freshman. So that's four random questions. Or not four random. But that's four questions for you, Hayden. Rattle off your answers. Love to hear those two. We can keep track of everybody's picks. Michigan, Dickinson. I forget the third question. Most underappreciated player. Oh, God. That one's kind of hard. Literally don't know. I'm going to pass. Four. I'm going to go with Bryce McGowan's just because, like Wally said, he's going to put up huge huge numbers as a freshman so I think he's the obvious choice we've got we've got some pretty good games this week 
Big Ten basketball-wise. I don't know if we're doing a little look-ahead, Wally, or... We absolutely can. We can do that now. We can do that on Tuesday. We really haven't had an idea, or, like, we haven't talked about how we wanted to look at our basketball season. So if you guys have ideas or you want to talk about something, by all means, the floor is yours. I have an opinion. We should do basketball previews on Sundays with football reviews. And during the week, we should do football preview. It's going to be hard to do a review in basketball because it's only Wednesday, but I don't know how we're going to work that out. But I, I, I think basketball preview should be on Sunday. Yeah, like like a look ahead to the games the, the coming week. Yeah, I, I'm good with that. But I, it, basketball is going to be a little difficult because they play every single day. So we're going to have to like... We'll have yeah. to be, be a little bendy with it. Yeah, recap like almost every episode that we have. Monday, there are a couple intriguing games in the Big Ten. Illinois and Marquette play. Providence and Wisconsin play. Michigan plays Seton Hall on Tuesday. That's a pretty pretty good opponent. Michigan State goes to Butler on Wednesday. Ohio State and Xavier play Thursday. And then North Carolina and Purdue play Saturday. Pretty good games on on the slate this week for Big Ten basketball. Excited. I love I love how we get like every single day is something now. Whether it's freaking Nebraska playing at six thirty on BTN, you know, it's just I love it. I know I found myself accidentally watching Minnesota Western Kentucky basketball a few days ago, and that's when you really know you're in the thick of it here in November. So it's. It's really it's one of the best times of year. But of those games you talked about, Casey, naturally as a Buckeye fan, that Ohio State-Xavier game stands out to me just because that Xavier team is it's a good squad. And the way that Ohio State has played early in the year, that's anything but a guaranteed W. So that'll be a fun game to watch there. And then beyond that, Ed Cooley's Providence team going up to Wisconsin I think would be a lot of fun to see. He's usually got them coached really well. They're always typically a bubble team in their own right, too. So I know Wisconsin will... I mean, that's a measuring stick game early on in the year to figure out if they're at least at this point up to snuff. So of the those games that you talked about, yeah, I'm definitely fired up for that Providence game and then the Xavier game on the back half of the week, which I guess we'll be talking about on the next show. I, I'm going to say Ohio State's on upset alert, but I don't know if it's even an upset because they're playing on the road and Xavier's typically... Usually not bad, but Ohio State's going to lose that game this week. So I guess Ohio State fans have that to look forward to. Yeah, I was just clicking on that game as uh, the game casting on ESPN. It actually has Xavier as a 54% chance of winning that game. So interesting, but, you know, I feel like Ohio State the past two or three years always pulls out a, I, I mean, I guess this wouldn't be that big of an upset, but uh, like an upset type game early on in the season I think that they beat beat the brakes off of North Carolina what was that two years ago or something like that so I don't know I mean it'll be interesting it's a good test and that's what this early season's all about having some challenging teams so oh this one's on the road too so yeah it'll be interesting also they need to watch out for my BGSU Falcons on Monday they're no pushover either <laughs> Well, after seeing how we fared with our first MAC opponent this year, I'm not going to be taking BGSU too lightly either. And Minnesota knows all too well about MAC schools being overlooked, which is a great way to really go into football here. We'll have more basketball stuff as there's more to talk about. 
when you have teams play in Niagara and Western Illinois, there's only so much you really can, what I guess, take out of these games right now. But that's not the same that you can say about this football slate. The number six team in the country, Michigan, goes in the Happy Valley and beats Penn State. Eric Law had a game-winning 47-yard touchdown catch with about three and a half minutes to go in this game. I know that you said it was a pretty boring game, Hayden. We'll go to you first. Boring or not, at least this was a pretty fun competitive game. Now you have a Penn State team that's really just unraveling before us. And on the flip side, this feels like a Michigan team that really is clicking right now and is playing at a high level of confidence. What did you make of this game? One of my main takeaways from this game really was how well Michigan ran the ball. You know, missing Blake Corum, uh, Haskins still had, I mean, he was the workhorse. You could tell that, you know, Donovan Edwards, the five-star recruit, isn't quite ready yet. Uh, you can just tell just by watching he's not he's not quite there. So Haskins really took the brunt of the load. 31 carries, 156 yards. That's, I mean, that's five yards a pop. That's pretty good, especially against a Penn State defense. That really slowed down Ohio State's running game for the whole game, really, outside of that one big play by uh, Henderson. So, you know, just kind of comparing that, I know you can't really do this transitive property stuff in college football because it doesn't work. But Michigan was much more successful on the ground. I know that their team rushing statistics weren't as good at 3.5, but that takes into account sacks and things like that. So strictly just looking at the running backs, I think that was that was very good. And what a play to, to not end the game, but give Michigan the lead, Eric All. I, I, people were kind of joking on Twitter how that was like the the slowest touchdown. Like it just felt like he was running, but not very fast, but he – uh, you know, made it to the end zone. So credit to him. That's that's really great. A great win for Michigan, especially going on the road. So Penn State's offense, Aiden Hutchinson and Ajabo just absolutely destroyed those two tackles. Like all game. Absolutely. I don't know how Sean Clifford is still alive because he got, I don't know how many sacks there were. Uh, seven. I, 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 it felt like more. Like honestly, it felt like more. Not, not much he could do back there with his limited time. From the first drive, I think Michigan had three sacks on the opening series. They were getting pressure all day. Sean Clifford obviously never felt comfortable. But outside of that first quarter, Penn State, in that first quarter, kind of dominated the pace of play. But in the next three quarters, you could really tell Michigan was a better football team, Casey. What is going on right now? Well, Okay, let's start with Penn State first. Franklin is 2-12 and now against top 10 teams. They've lost eight straight such games. I mean, at what point do we stop saying, is James Franklin going to USC and say, is Penn State happy with what they're getting out of James Franklin? Yeah, that's a that's a great question because if you look at the past two seasons, in my opinion, this Penn State team has really underperformed. You know, they might end up uh, as a 7-5 and five team this year. Last year they were, what, 4-5 and five or 5-5, five and five, something like that. So, yeah, I, I don't know ex- exactly how secure I would say Penn State's or James Franklin's job is at Penn State right now, and that might be the perfect out for him to head out to USC. You know, I thought I thought Michigan did a really good job of containing Jahan Dotson. Penn State wasn't able to stretch the ball down the field vertically at all, and that really limited the explosive plays that they had. Penn State ran the ball a, a lot better than what, I expected they would. 
Kayvon Lee had 20 carries for 88 yards, which, I mean, isn't great, but it was effective. Absolutely effective. Yeah, uh, you know, Michigan ran the ball fine. McNamara took care of the ball. I thought McNamara was due for a horrible day. After, I think it was the second drive of the game, he threw, like, literally threw the ball right in the back of the of the center's helmet. But, yeah, Wally, you said it. You know, Penn State really dominated the first quarter, I guess. But, you know, it was it was two drives by Michigan, two drives by Penn State. Penn State drove right down the field both times. And outside of that, Michigan completely dominated the game. And it, and it really felt like the Michigan State game for me when it was getting late. It was like Michigan had every opportunity to really pull away and really make this game not close, in my opinion. And then, you know, they give up a touchdown, sack, fumble sack. All of a sudden, you're down 17-14. It just felt like a hardball meltdown all over again. But, yeah, credit to, you know, the offense for for sticking in there. Eric All had a really good game. McNamara played all right. And then Hayden, you touched on it. Uh, Hassan Haskins is just a just a beast back there. Edwards, I, I texted in our group chat. I said, he, he ain't it yet. And it looked like his brain was working faster than his feet on, on his two carries that he had. He slipped and no one even touched him. It just looked like he was a freshman. Not scared, but well, just a little rattled. And, and really his first big-time moments as a as a Michigan player. But, uh, I mean, if I if I didn't talk about Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo, I would be doing them injustice right now. Um, they were beasts. Rasheed Walker was one of the highest, not rated, but, uh, yeah, I'll just go with rated, highest rated offensive tackles coming back in the Big Ten. And they both just absolutely destroyed them. They, I, I texted in the group chat. I said they, they both came – or they posted that they came to play today to earn a big paycheck. And I, I'm pretty sure that Hutchinson's a top five pick projected right now. And I heard last I heard Ojabo was a top 15 pick as well. And man, they re- they really showed out. But yeah, I mean, seven sacks on the day, you, you know, that's, that's fantastic. But when you have stats like you do outside of the first quarter, you expect to win the game by a little bit more than four points. Did we see McCarthy at all today? Or yesterday? Nope. So, I, is it fair to say that that train, at least for this year, has officially passed? Like, we're not... He's he's not... I, I just feel like with the remaining games, and maybe not next week because it's Maryland, but, like, obviously the last game, do, you, do they trust him enough to even get him in for a snap here or there? And to me, it seems like the answer is no because they didn't against Penn State this week. Yeah, I, I think the easy answer is no. And you can just revert back to that Michigan State game where in his limited time, I mean, he did throw a touchdown, but he also fumbled twice and the second one cost a team. I mean, I'm not going to say the game, but, you know, fumbled in Michigan State or in your own territory and then Michigan State you know, scored a touchdown after that. So I think it's fair to say they don't trust him in the in the big time moments yet. And that's fine. Kids are true freshmen. But, yeah, I think it's McNamara's job um, without any question right now. I want to touch on real quick. We're talking about, obviously, these pass rushers for Michigan, and we should. But the key part about that for me is that these are the kind of guys that, if you're going to upset Ohio State, you have, I guess, that ammunition as pass rush that you haven't had the last few times where you've been worried about how these Ohio State wide receivers might match up with the secondary 
if you have a big day out of a pass rush, you're going to do your secondary a lot of favors with that. And that's, I think, something that Michigan really hasn't had threatening Ohio State in the last 5-10 years where they had a premier edge rusher, and they have two this year. And I think that could give Ohio State fits. We haven't seen them necessarily in these big games so far. Yesterday they did well. Ohio State, we'll get to them on the offensive line when we get to the Ohio State game. But if there's an area that Michigan is going to try to exploit, I think that's going to definitely be it. But then on the flip side, on Penn State real quick, I just wanted to make one comment that in these big games, James Franklin's play calling at crucial moments has been just so bad over the past few seasons. Obviously, Ohio State fans remember the 4th and 5 draw. But there's stuff like that, I feel like, happening in almost every single one of these big Penn State losses. Where yesterday, in these first two drives, you had that fake punt call on that opening series that kept that drive alive. But then what later on, I don't even know if it was that drive or the following drive, you fake a field goal from the two when you you really, I feel like, needed to show more about how well you played in the first quarter than faking that at the two giving the ball back to Michigan, and really giving them a lot of momentum they hadn't had at that point in the game. So I would love to hear your guys' thoughts on the play calling. He's yeah. a horrible in-game coach. Yeah, I think I think we've talked about that before. And to be honest, we don't really dissect Penn State too much unless they're playing in a big game. Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan State, uh, earlier Auburn, Wisconsin. So I, I don't really know if his play calling is consistently that bad. In, in crucial moments or, or throughout a game when they're playing weaker opponents. But um, to touch on that uh, fake punt for a second, Michigan calls a timeout. They saw something weird, whatever. And they still get the – what in the world? And I don't know what 14 was looking at because they had him covered and he, like, turned the opposite way to – I was like, what in the heck are you doing? But, yeah, then the, the, the fake – it just felt like James Franklin knew that they it had to be that kind of game. They had to have special things like that happen for them to win. And ultimately, it, you know, it cost them three points. If not, I don't, I don't remember if Michigan scored on that drive, but that fake field goal was, was a gutsy call. Terrible in-game coach, very much so. And we're going to have to keep an eye on that going forward in some of these smaller games, like you said, if it's consistently this poorly coached or if this is just when we're keeping our eyes to it. I just wanted to mention quickly, and I tweeted this out earlier, and I tagged the, the pod, and I doubled down again this morning. This is playing out to be the perfect scenario where Michigan is going to win the Big Ten because I think Ohio State's going to beat Michigan State next week, and that game in Ann Arbor to end the year is going to be very scary. And... It would come – I mean, it would just be a head-to-head tiebreaker. Michigan would win if they won the head-to-head. So I doubled down again this morning, Sunday, November 14th, that Michigan is going to win the conference. Yeah, and, and it really could be a, um, you know, best-case scenario for the Big Ten right now is Michigan State wins out and Michigan wins out. No, You know, not trying to short Ohio State or anything. But if you have a 12 and one Michigan State and an 11 and one Michigan, they're both getting in. They both have to get in, especially with Oklahoma losing. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think Ohio State's going to beat Michigan State this week, and and really, gosh, that that, that game in Ann Arbor is going to be 
got to be something if Michigan can avoid the upset at Maryland this week. But I wanted to touch on the the two linebackers for both teams that freaking played outstanding. Ellis Brooks for Penn State and Brandon Smith, they both combined for 26 tackles, and, and they were flying around. And then Michigan's linebacker, Junior Colson and Josh Ross, combined for 23 tackles. I mean, Michigan-wise, Junior Colson's a true freshman, and that kid is going to be a beast. So I just wanted to give them a shout-out, too, because I noticed that during the game as well. Well, I should have mentioned earlier, too, and I'm glad you gave those guys a shout-out. I mean, Sean Clifford's been getting his ass kicked for the last month, and it is very clear. I know some guys milk it on the sideline. They know the camera's there. It doesn't feel like that was what it was. It just feels like, dude, Sean Clifford is gutting through some shit right now that he, I mean, he's been taking some shots and you could tell right before the Eric all touchdown, they flashed to him on the sideline and the guy looked like I've wanted to just give him an ice hug because he looked like he was in that like agony on the sideline. So yeah, just another shout out to him. Cause that was, these are really gutsy kids. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, his rushing stats are 16 for 16 yards and so that means Michigan hit him at least 16 times. And, it, I mean, he dropped back 43 times. I, I got to imagine they hit him 25 times throughout the game. And they hit him hard a couple of instances. So, yeah, credit to Sean Clifford for, you know, sticking through it, man. Michigan was hitting him really, really hard. And I know he's been taking a lot of hits in the past three or four games as well. So, credit to him. Saying next tough. Saying next tough is right. Our next game, we had Northwestern going to Camp Randall, where the number 18 overall Wisconsin Badgers won this game 35-7, to and it, it really wasn't even that close. The Wisconsin defense dominated yet again in this game. The only points Northwestern did score was actually due to a fumble from Wisconsin returned all the way. Just domination throughout. I, I don't think we really learned a lot about either team here. But Wisconsin is one step closer, and it really controls their own destiny, and I'm expecting them to make it to Indianapolis now. Do you guys feel that way too? I absolutely do think that Wisconsin's going to be the team that makes it to Indy. They're, they're, they're kind of hot right now, man. I know they haven't played anybody spectacular since they you know beat Purdue and um, Iowa a couple weeks ago, but they're kind of... The past four games are kind of beating the crap out of teams. So Wisconsin's getting hot at the right time. And, you know, if, if they can obviously win the next two games, they're going to be playing the winner of the East in the Big Ten title game. And that defense has just been absolutely outstanding. So you got to think they have a chance just based on that alone. You know, this is a defense that held Purdue about four weeks ago to only 13 points and 206 yards of total offense. So, yeah, Wisconsin's really hot right now, Wally, and I I think that I would agree with your assessment of them right now. Hayden, is Wisconsin going to be in Indianapolis facing the Big Ten East winner? Yes, just like me and you predicted at the beginning of the season, Wisconsin is going to the Big Ten championship game. Suck it, Iowa. It's that old expression, what a long, strange trip it's been. One and three start for Wisconsin – and really getting back to their roots here in the last month, month and a half, very focused on the run, very focused on good defensive play, and they're just doing their job, and they're going to keep doing their job. I don't know how. Like We'll get into it here with the Minnesota-Iowa game briefly, but that was, I think, the only way 
I could have seen Wisconsin failing to come out of the West as if Minnesota win and Iowa got a win there and potentially set up for that Week 12 matchup. But now it doesn't look very promising whatsoever. Hey, Wally. Yeah, what's up? Have you had time to calculate the standings from this last, from yesterday? I, yeah, I already have it in the uh, spreadsheet. Oh, you do? Okay, because yeah. I was looking at it, and I'm like, I wish I bet real money on all of this, because... All three of us had big I don't know, I, yeah, I don't see Casey's picks, but like, I think all of us, I, at least in the, in the rundown, it looks like we all killed it. Yeah, I think Casey went 8-5, and five, I went 9-5, and five, and I think you went 9-4. and four. Nice. So we were yeah, all, with. yeah, we all had a huge day. Yeah, we all we all hit the Michigan score, the Michigan, right? Yeah, the Michigan game was huge. The only I, one you had the under, that. or you missed. I had the over. Yeah, you missed that. But yeah, we went three and zero. Oh, you went two and one, and that was the way to kick off the day for sure. I had a yeah. I had double super lock on Michigan. I know that was huge for you. <laughs> I had well the only game that I really like you. We lost a few that I even felt like I didn't hate what I did. Like, like the, the Iowa Mar- game? Or, or yeah, the Iowa game or the Maryland game. Because uh, Maryland, it was at 61 for, like, the final 15 minutes of oh, that game. Oh, I hit the under by a half. Yeah, well, that was huge, too, because <laughs> I went... Had Maryland actually scored a touchdown on that final drive, they cover and the over hits. And I would have been looking at, like, 11-3. and three, So I was disgusted when they didn't score. Did we accept my change in the Ohio State game? Yeah, I gave it to you because you texted me before noon, so... We all were plus money yesterday, too, which is, I think, the first time in, like, two months we can say that. God damn. Yeah. Anyways. I'm glad you brought that up, though. We'll talk more about that on Wednesday. But before we go on to the next game, do you have any last words on this one, Casey? Only thing I got to say is poor Northwestern. What a, what a disappointing season that they've had so far. Well, if you're worried about disappointment, this next game is the one for you. The Rutgers Scarlet Knights go to Bloomington. Where the most, I guess, pressing matter in this game was not what was going on in the football field. It was a bunch of shirtless students in the student section for Indiana about halftime. That was this game. There was nothing really on the field worth watching. Besides, I hope some of you saw it, we had a big man touchdown that rivaled the Thursday night football big man touchdown. Rutgers is up, I believe, 24-3 to at the point. They throw a little swing pass to the eligible left tackle. I can't remember the dude's name off the top of my head real quick. I'll get it here before I get it back, or one of you can. Guy goes diving into the end zone for the score. It wasn't like a one of those where he just catches it in the back of the end zone. He's happy. The guy had to show a little bit of athleticism. But beyond that individual play, I, there wasn't anything really to talk about here. Indiana's a terrible football team. I guess you got to say good for Rutgers. You could have really mailed in the towel on the season. They went there. It was evident they were focused. And that, I guess, I asked if they quit. They answered that question very, very clearly. Do you guys have anything you want to say on this game? Feel free to throw it out there now. Big fella touchdown and shirtless fans is about all I got. The only thing I have to say about this is Indiana is absolutely horrible. Like, (laughs) there's nothing else. I did not watch this game. Wally was kind of giving us some updates in, in the group chat. But just looking at the stats here, Indiana had six turnovers, four lost fumbles, and two interceptions thrown. They were one for 14 on third down, which is absolutely terrible. And 
you know, we we know that both teams' offenses are not very good, but they both combined for 583 yards. For comparison, Ohio State last night had 624 yards of total offense by themselves. So both of those teams combined did not um, even equal to what Ohio State had. Indiana is is bad. That's about all I all I have on that game too. But the first snowfall is falling outside my window right now, and that is awesome to see. So that's exciting. Bring on the snow days, baby. I'm ready. Yes, yes, sir. Dude, all right, so off topic real quick. So I went to my boss this week because it was really foggy, and I was like, do we not have fog delays? Like, what? And she's like, fog delays? I was like, yeah, like when it's foggy and the transportation doesn't go out for like two more. She's like, oh, no, like I've been here for three years. We've never had a two-hour delay. I was like, all right, so what happens if it like snows and she'll just, ah, we'll just close. I said, like, oh, okay. I was like, uh, so I'll never get that like text in the morning at, you know, 530. It says two hour delay, sleep in. Because I don't know about you, Hayden, but I prefer two hour delays like more than closings at the, sometimes, I would say. Because then it counts as a day still, you know, but you get, and I don't know. Snow days are very elite until you get to five. And then two hour delays are like the hidden gold that you find somewhere because the day goes by so fast and it still counts. It's like the best of both worlds. Once you get to five, unbeatable. I remember even as a kid, the two hour delay was elite just because you wake up, you're miserable, don't want to go. And it's like you guys say, you go to class and all of a sudden these 52 minute class periods are 39. And, and then like, what do you do in 39 minutes? Yeah. Nothing. And, and it's like that 39 for whatever reason to that brain at that age, I swear, I was like, it felt like half a class instead of just being 13 minutes shorter. I'm like, this is the best day of school. Like, you get into your class and you're already like packing up stuff. You're rustling the bags around. And you're like, yeah, I, that's got to be annoying for you guys. But I, I can already remember in my head. Oh, I just got elite news as well. Casey, I think this impacts you. Family pictures are canceled today. What? Uh, Madison just texted me. No family pictures today. I So, I was pissed off all weekend. I'm going to go on a rant here. And you do not have to edit this out. I was angry. One, because I had to miss the Ohio State game on Saturday. I had practice, and then I had to meet the team. Horrible. Horrible Saturday. I already knew I was going to be angry on Saturday. I forgot we had family pictures on Sunday. And, in addition to that, Madison scheduled Christmas pictures for the two of us. So I had our two pictures at noon and then family pictures at like four or something like that. And I, my whole weekend was ruined Friday at three o'clock because I remembered all of this and I was just angry. Madison can hear me talking shit, but I don't care. No, that is the absolute worst. When like you're halfway through the school day on a Friday and you just remember that you have a terrible, uh, too too many events in a weekend to just sit down and relax. That I I completely understand what you're saying. <laughs> I and I overreacted to Madison, and oh shoot, what did I tell her? I forget. I said something like, "I prefer school. I prefer weeknights better than the weekends because of stuff like this." And overreaction of a century because it happens once a year, maybe. It feels good to overreact sometime. I feel like it's good for the soul. So get it out here, man. Get to vent here. I do want to vent myself too. You asked me earlier what it was I wanted to yell about for Indiana. 
I finally remembered. Jack Tuttle started this game. How do you start Jack Tuttle when you already know what you have in this guy? And I'm not trying to like just come out and be mean to this college kid. Good for him. I, I know he's trying his hardest, all that. That's great. Indiana football needs to, if they really thought that or wanted to build on last year, build on last year. You can't and what turn in and lean into Jack Tuttle now, where you know this guy isn't part of the future plans. And just punting on the rest of the year, you might as well at least go out with Donovan McCulley, get your refreshment here, looks against a defense that hasn't stopped a nosebleed, get a little bit of confidence up in this kid that I can only imagine has had his confidence shattered in his first two or three starts against very high-profile teams. To bring in Jack Tuttle here, it just seemed like it, it's kind of damning on two fronts, where now you have... McCulley now, head is in a spot where it shouldn't be, confidence is low, and then Jack Tuttle again. I just, it sent me off, and then they were down 17-0 in the first, like, 10 minutes, and I asked if Rutgers quit. It felt like Indiana quit, and I, I just, Tom Allen, I don't, I don't want to say he should be in trouble, but he should definitely be looking over his shoulder right now. Yeah, this has been a terrible, terrible year for Indiana. I feel like they've mishandled so many situations. And looking at the box score here, Wally, they, they had three quarterbacks in the game that threw at least 10 pass attempts, which is completely crazy. Uh, neither one of them hit or had a percentage higher than 50%. And That's like some Purdue shit at the beginning of the season. Yeah, and Purdue paid the price for that last night. We saw that. That was uh, that, uh, Hayden, the, the Michigan game, at, the Michigan-Michigan State game and the Purdue-Ohio State game yesterday just completely – Everything you've echoed about the two-quarterback system, it, and that was exactly the reason why you don't do that. And, um, you know, props to you for sticking to your guns because sometimes it does work, but in big-time moments this year, we've seen that it hasn't. But real quick on the Indiana passing totals, as a team, the three quarterbacks combined for 18 of 42, which is well under 50%, 177 yards and two interceptions. So not a great day at all for Indiana quarterbacks. Yeah, great call. That's how, I guess, painful this game was. I didn't even know that they were interchanging the quarterbacks like they were. That's, I I don't know, man. It was a hard, hard game to try to even pay attention to marginally. I do have to give credit, though, because I forgot a second ago. I found the Rutgers offensive tackle who caught the touchdown pass. I guess they ruled it a rushing touchdown. O'Neal? Yeah, Raekwon O'Neal is the guy. Athletic guy, too. Big man with showing a little athletic ability. You love to see it. But we want to remind you guys that Pigskins and Nylon is brought to you by Tabbies.com, the best Delta 8 THC edible on the market. It's sugar-free, keto-friendly, gluten-free, heat-resistant, and made of 100% pharmaceutical-grade ingredients with consistent dosing for the perfect edible experience. But hey, if you're not into Delta 8 THC, that's not a problem. Tabbies offers an option with no THC, while using the same proprietary drug delivery system to ensure that guaranteed dosage of CBD. Right now, Tabbies.com offers three flavors, galactic fruit, watermelon, and mint. Mint is my personal go-to, and they're perfect anytime you're stressed out or you need a little break to get your mind off things. So please make sure you follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Tabby's Co. That's Tabby's Co. spelled T-A-B-E-A-S-E-C-O to be the first to know when they drop. You can get any of these products at tabbies.com. 
And with the shipping code BIG10, that's B-I-G-1-0, you can get 20% off your entire order and free shipping. Now, our next game, it's a Buckeye game. Purdue goes into town. Number 19, high on life after, what, uh, two top five wins this year. Oh, Hayden's waving his arm. What's going on, Hayden? Hey, I, I just wanted to tell you, the reason I remembered Raekwon O'Neal's name is you remember last year when Rutgers did all that crazy shit against Ohio State? He also scored a touchdown against Ohio State last year. Just in case you didn't know, he he did. It was a – so yesterday was a, uh, a rushing touchdown, right, because it was backwards. Last year, I'm pretty sure it was a receiving touchdown. Two for the big fella. I was going to say good memory. I, I actually did not remember. I remember there being about 19 trick plays in that game, but I didn't remember he being a part of this. So really good either here, Hayden. But yeah, no, going into that next game, that Buckeye game, the Buckeyes, I imagine were on high alert coming in. Purdue beating two top five teams earlier in the year. And then to make matters worse, I feel like Purdue poked the bear for no reason. They were warming up in the Ohio State end pregame. All it did is it looked like it fired up that team a little more. Ohio State came out and scored six touchdowns in her opening six drives. Casey, we'll go to you first on this one. I know you were a little worried about the pass defense still for the Buckeyes, but everything overall, you have to be pretty happy with the performance on Saturday, right? Yeah, for the for the most part, yeah, absolutely. Offensively, there really isn't anything that you can complain about. They did not give up a single sack, and we kind of thought that Carl Loftus might be able to disrupt Ohio State a little bit, but it turns out those tackles, man, are, are they were way too big for him, and Carl uh, Loftus was not able to get in C.J. Stroud's face at all. The run game was outstanding. I think through their first, like, 20 carries, they were averaging, like, 15 yards a carry or something crazy like that, which is absolutely outstanding. Uh, they, they didn't work overwork Travion Henderson too much this game because they were in control of it. Like you said, they scored six touchdowns in their first six possessions. But I think these next two weeks are going to be big-time Travion Henderson games uh because i i don't really think i not against michigan anyway i don't think stroud can drop back 39 38 times or 54 times like he did last week against nebraska and ohio state to win the game i think they're going to need to rely on the running game a little bit more so yeah offensively there's absolutely nothing that you can complain about if you're ohio state this is like they literally played the perfect game they put everything together this game and this is the offense that we've been we, we've seen glimpses of it against worse opponents, but you know, Purdue's a quality opponent, I would say. And so um, it was, it was a really good showing by the offense real quick. Defensively. I saw, I know, I know Wally, you think that they kind of pulled, you know, pulled off a little bit, but I thought Purdue ran the ball very effective, which was kind of shocking to me. Obviously O'Connell put up 390 yards. They did a really good job of, keeping everything in front of them. And I think that was the the big key to the game was that Purdue wasn't able to stretch the ball down the field with David Bell. David Bell had a really quiet 11 catches for 103 yards. But another concern that I have outside of the pass defense for Ohio State is that O'Connell dropped back 52 times and they didn't get one sack the entire game. I think if you had told me that, Going into the game, uh, I would say Ohio State would have had at least three or four sacks on him, but they weren't able to get him once. You know, I kind of nitpicking here. Anytime you can beat a top twenty team by twenty eight points, you know, you, you're going to take it. Hey, and we're going to go over to you now. 
Offensive line had been a worry for quite a few big games this year for Ohio State. Finally looked like they had a full game together. Was that the most impressive thing for you on Saturday? Was there something else that stood out? And then also, I would love to hear your take on the pass defense situation as well. Everybody was up in arms kind of about the offensive line play, and they weren't playing up to up to standard uh, the last couple of weeks. Particularly, I know Penn State was a little rough, but last week against Nebraska should be a team that you should be able to do whatever you want. And I don't know if these are legit reasons. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. But Nicholas Petit-Ferrer had someone pass away in his family like the week of that game. So people were saying that might have been a thing. I don't know. Also, Dewan Jones, I don't know if anybody saw this, but he said in this week during you know press conferences and stuff, and, and everybody who follows football knows Dewan Jones is a large, large human being. He said he ate a bad sausage biscuit the morning of the game, and his quote was, I had to go take care of business <laughs> before the game. And apparently his stomach was very very upset uh, before the game. So that's why he didn't start right away and then kind of came in. And I don't know if those are reasons why, you know, they didn't play well, but this week everything seemed back to the way it has been for most of the year, which I think is very encouraging. George Karloftis, right? That's how you say it. You know, that guy is going to be a first round pick most likely. And he was very quiet yesterday. He, he didn't do very much, uh, you know, and lined up on either side. Uh, I was happy with the way both tackles played. They're just so large that you have to be special to get around them. And I'm not saying that he isn't. It just wasn't, wasn't his day. So I thought that was good. Uh, they got back to really mashing the football. I was looking at their rushing stats, and they ran for 263 yards. But... One of those that didn't count as a run was like a little of those like flip passes to to JSN, which really is the same thing as the as the jet sweep that Garrett Wilson had. So you, I know it technically doesn't count, but that's basically in my book another rush. So it was very nice to see them get back on track that way. Last thing on offense, I think actually two things. One, I think. Garrett Wilson is so important to this offense. And we saw that last week when he wasn't there, just like the, the different impact that maybe the fourth receiver that has to come in. I mean, obviously isn't Garrett Wilson. And that makes a huge difference in this, you know, passing attack And the second thing. And I know Mayan Williams stats were kind of inflated from that last drive, but even before that he had like eight carries for, 50 yards or something like that. I, I think there's a spot in this offense for him to get in. And I think Ohio State did a really good job. I was looking through the drive the drive charts because I didn't get to watch it. But it seemed like every third or fourth series, it was like mine Williams series. And I think that's that's like huge, especially with a freshman running back. You don't want to get them too banked. Like you can't give Henderson 30 carries like you gave us on Haskins. He's not ready for that yet. He's not, especially without playing last year. You know, he didn't play his senior year. So I think it's it's really important to give give him blows. And Mayan brings a di- little bit of a different style. So I, I think that's really, really good for them. Defensively, you know, I, I'm going to rewatch the game today now that pictures <laughs> got canceled. But when I was watching, it was the first quarter. They gave up 
And I've been if I've been nagging on this all year. It seems like whenever Ohio State goes down and scores, the defense gives up a score right away. And there's a guy on Twitter who's counting points given up right after scores, and it's like 111 points after a score, which is you know not good, especially with an offense that scores a ton. Like I said, I have to rewatch. Wally, you kind of mentioned maybe like they not took their foot off the gas, but like played a little off more, I assume is what you're saying. Like kind of keep everything in front. Don't give up a 70 yard touchdown because you're playing your normal style defense. I don't know. But I I feel like when they were up 35 to seven before you could blink an eye and that's a tough spot for the defense to be in. I think, you know, maybe, you know, that Purdue's going to throw the ball and you can get after the quarterback, but to me, it seemed like Aiden O'Connell was getting the ball out of his hands really quick. So I don't know. I'd have to go go rewatch the game, but I just like getting your guys' insight because obviously you watched it. And I'd love to hear your thought when you watch back. I just my only reason why I'm not as uh, I guess nervous about the game the way it played out is that I think that Ohio State knew Purdue was going to score and went in saying, "Hey, we're going to let them dink and dunk if they're patient enough to do that." They're going to get points, but they're going to have to be perfect to beat us today. And that's why, like, the run game, I truly felt like it was so heavily emphasized that keep the ball in front of you, expect it to be a pass that, though I I can't explain the no sack. You have to get there when you know that they're going to be thrown. You have to get there. But I felt like that they were very soft on defense and deliberately soft. We weren't going to get beat deep. Outside of that first opening touchdown for Purdue, for the most part, you didn't see the long pass. It was going to be things in front of you and make a tackler miss if it was going to be a big play. And that was my, I guess, reason for not panicking. I thought it was a game plan thing saying, hey, we're going to get our points. We just have to be better than they are, or at least make them be perfect, if that makes sense. I guess the only thing that I have to to say about that is, you know, there were times where Ohio State or where Purdue did challenge Ohio State deep with David Bell. And, you know, they just didn't connect. Denzel Burke had a couple of nice pass breakups on David Bell. And then David Bell um, dropped that one fourth down touchdown right in the end zone. But it I, it wasn't so much dinking and dunking. It was, it was very much the medium game passing or the medium passing game for me, which has caused more concerns for Ohio State. You know, they, they had – Purdue and some third and eights, uh, third and mediums, I would say. And they would just run a little dig route right across the middle and, you know, catch it for a 15-yard gain. Ohio State played a lot of off, like, you know, like you said. But, you know, they uh, Purdue was getting that little eight-yard out route with their outside receiver on the corner. So they, they were getting that kind of stuff all, all game long. It wasn't like they were running screens all over the place and they were catching and, and running for me. And yeah, I mean, the the defensive line not getting any sacks is concerning. But Wally, to your point about the defense, you know, kind of playing everything in front of you. I, I definitely saw that with the run game. And I think that that's why Purdue's rushing attack was so successful. I mean, it wasn't anything outstanding. But Hayden, when you watch the game, you're going to be like, what in the heck? I did not expect this. I think Ohio State thought that their front four was just better you know, I don't think Haskell Garrett or Antoine Jackson played their best game by by any stretch of the imagination, which which leads you to be a li- little bit more concerning, though, if you were so focused on the pass that you still gave up 390 yards. Or, or am I just digging too much into it, do you think? 
I think that a large part of it too, because what Hayden mentioned, when you do jump up big like you don't like you did in this game, it was almost that we're gonna bleed they're gonna bleed themselves to death with the dink and dunk too. These drives are gonna have to be five, six minute sustained drives. I just felt like a lot of it where you will even see it at like the NFL level, when you get up big early, it's almost this we'll let you get your points as long as it's gonna cost you X amount of minutes off the, the game clock too. So I don't know, maybe I'd love to hear your thoughts on Wednesday, Hayden, when we come back, when we do previews, we'll, we'll ask you a little bit as well, just because it was a really interesting game. You don't see a lot of top 20 matchups end up 59 to 31 in the Big Ten. Really what made that, I know Ohio State played near perfect offensively. I don't, like I said, I don't think you could ask for anything more, but those two turnovers were absolutely huge and Ohio State allowing this game to really not be that close because that, you know, that fumble from Plummer, Purdue was driving down the field. They throw him in and then fumble and then boom, 57 yard touchdown by uh, Travion Henderson puts the game at 21 to seven. Then it's 28 to seven after Purdue, I forget what they did, shanked the punt probably. And then on the ensuing kickoff, hey, I don't know if you saw this, but I mean, the dude let it bounce, tried to field it, gets whacked. Ohio State recovers the ball at the 12-yard line, punches it in, boom, 35-7, just like that. And Purdue, I don't think, was playing that bad at that at that point. And I think you got to, you know, with how successful they were offensively, you got to think that they're going to score a touchdown on one of those two drives. So those were, those were really, really huge. And I know with the score being a 28-point difference, it doesn't look like it, but Two turnovers. The difference between cover and the spread. It was, but also, you know, two turnovers. You could take two scores away from Ohio State or add two for Purdue. It, it just really felt like it. the game was over after those two turnovers. I follow a lot of, like, X and O guys, and this isn't really X and O's, but it's kind of like a strategy. Ohio State did that kickoff against Penn State, if you remember, where they'll, like, they'll kick it right over the, that second line from the back. And in between like the last row and against Penn State, it bounced and it kicked back towards like the kickoff team. And Penn State luckily for them got on it. Unfortunately for Purdue, they didn't. Or I don't know how it worked out, but like they that must be some sort of strategy that Ohio State is using on kickoffs now with all the fair cut fair catches. The last thing, and Wally is gonna love this, I have an absolute man crush on Denzel Burke. And I saw a statistic, you know, David Bell got his kind of quietly, but when Burke was on him and it was identified that it was basically one-on-one, Purdue was five for 11 targeting him for 30 some odd yards. I can't remember the exact stat, but when Denzel Burke was locked on him five for 11 for 30 yards, which I think actually is very impressive for a true freshman to go against a David Bell quality receiver and give up less than 50% completion. Yeah, Hayden, and when you watch this game, you're going to see there were a couple, it might have been three or four times actually, where Purdue Purdue took shots to the end zone for David Bell on Denzel Burke. And, I mean, Burke played it about perfect, and I don't think Bell caught any of those. So you're going to be really impressed when you watch rewatch the game. Yeah, that drive where they were going right to left, I want to say, they had one where Aiden O'Connell dropped it. It looked like in the bucket. But luckily, Denzel Burke is in his hip pocket, and he's able to get his left hand 
right through the middle of the arms where the ball's actually coming in. And it was just textbook. The, the way he plays, it's been a lot of fun so far. He doesn't get himself panicked when the ball's in the air. And I think a lot of guys want to get handsy and panic that way. He trusts his footwork. He trusts, I guess, the coaching. And that's just, it's very exciting for a freshman to be doing that against a guy like David Bell, nonetheless. But unless you guys have anything else you want to add here, we can slide on down to the Minnesota and Iowa game where Iowa wins this game by five. And I know people that had money on this game were really honed in on the P.J. Fleck decision to go for it. Fourth and 17 inside his own 10-yard line. Minnesota is the weirdest team in the Big Ten. They'll lose to a team like Illinois or Bowling Green, and then they'll take Iowa to the brink. They'll beat teams they shouldn't beat. They went into Purdue and shut down Purdue's offense. Pretty much the only team this year that's been able to do that. But unfortunately now, or fortunately, I guess, depending on how you look at it, the Big Ten West has lost a lot of intrigue because of this matchup. Wisconsin needs to lose to Minnesota now, and Iowa has to win out for anybody to else get in. Is that right? Am I losing my mind here? Cool. Hayden shaking his head at me, or nodding, I should say. I'd throw it to you first, Hayden, but since I know you weren't able to watch this game because of the photos, we'll go to you, Casey. Your Iowa Hawkeyes beat the Minnesota Gophers 27-22. Take it away. I didn't watch this game very much either, but I did get to, to catch the end of it. From what I see statistically, Minnesota controlled the game for the most part. They had 40 minutes of time of possession, had 409 yards compared to Iowa's 277. That is one of those games where you look back and you're like, how in the world did we lose this? But yeah, I think that Iowa's explosive offense really helped them out today. But or yesterday, you know, I I joke, but you know, Padilla did average almost twenty yards per completion, although he was under fifty percent. Big fake stat there because they had a massive touchdown early in the third quarter. Like a 70-something yard touchdown yeah, pass. Yeah, 72-yard touchdown pass. So, you know, this maybe this Iowa offense is finally hitting its stride with Padilla instead of Petrus. But, no, I mean, I, I don't really have too much to say on this game. Minnesota, like I said, you're going to look back at this game and, and not really understand how you lost it because you controlled the game the, the entire time. That That was a questionable call because I believe – Minnesota, did they have two or did they have all three timeouts on that fourth and 17? I think they had two, but even so, it, it yeah. they had enough. Yeah, with like two or like three minutes left in the game or something too. So, yeah, that, that was really a, a big mistake on P.J. Flex's uh, part, in my opinion. But good for my Hawkeyes, I guess. It was definitely good for your Hawkeyes. I didn't think they had it going in a half. And I went back to the Minnesota Moneyline well one too many times this year. I thought it was going to be a game like the Purdue game or like the Colorado game where they were going to go in and surprise people. And I think they did with their play. They just didn't get it done. But I actually took the other approach watching this because I had it set up where I had the TV right ahead of me and then I had the computer HDMI plug right to the right with the Iowa-Minnesota game. So I got the double dip with the Buckeyes in this Hawkeye game here. But Iowa just... I actually thought the opposite. I think their offense is somehow regressed with Padilla in there. And that is almost unobtained. Dude, they were bad. They This game, outside that 72-yard touchdown pass, I don't think Iowa 
has a prayer to win. And luckily for them, it did hit early in that half. Minnesota was running at will. You mentioned the 40 minutes of time of possession in this game. If you looked up, you'd be shocked every time Iowa would go three and out seemingly every other drive. And that's been the recipe this year. But the defense, Ben, don't break yet again. I, Man, I, I don't know. Tough loss for Minnesota. You, you probably feel pretty gross going home after this one. Feel like you probably should have got it done. Win the turnover battle over 130 yards more than your opposition here too. But the lack of aggressiveness at the end of the first half, settling for a field goal, and then the overly aggressive non or decision not to punt at the end of the game, I thought it was P.J. Flex. Probably worst decision-making game I've seen this year, but I didn't watch, I guess, the Bowling Green game until inside 5-10 minutes either. So, Do you guys have anything else you want to add there or get to our final game? We are shaking heads. So we're going to Maryland and Michigan State. Michigan State wins this game. And this one, again, you want to talk about our personal bets from this last week. The over-under, Vegas is so good. Set this at 61 and a half. It felt like the easiest over ever. It was like an Ohio State over. It was going to hit a half, right? No, it was at 61 for pretty much the entire fourth quarter. Kenneth Walker had another great game. Got hurt a little bit. He came back, though. Big for him. It looks like he is going to be, unless he gets completely shut out against Ohio State, he should be in New York at this point for the Heisman ceremony. And who knows? It sounds like he actually has a, a real shot this year because of how... There's not really that elite team in college football. I'll let whoever wants to jump in here take it, first of all. Maryland's not that good. Michigan State now has a lot to play for when they host the Buckeyes on Saturday. I actually thought this game was a, a lot more entertaining than what maybe others did. Yeah, it was very unfortunate. I thought it was a clutch or an easy over this game. Michigan State missed an early PAT, which really, really screwed us up. But, you know, Maryland did what Maryland does. They threw all over Michigan State, 350 yards passing. But I, I think the, the key for Michigan State was getting back to that balance that they had so much success with early on in the season. Thorne threw for 287 yards, and the team rushed for 194. Walker got injured early on in the game. They wrapped up that ankle. And then while I was watching later in the second half, he tweaked it again, and he ran off. And that's when I uh, texted us in that group chat. You know, hopefully he's all right. That would be just that. That would just suck so bad for next week's game if he's unable to go. But it looked like he was. I mean, he finished the rest of the game, had 143 yards and two touchdowns. And Wally, you're right. Unless he absolutely lays an egg these next two games, which is, to be honest with you, it's very possible. Ohio State's defensive line is very talented. They haven't really put it all together yet. But yeah, I could see Ohio State limiting him to about 75 yards to 100, which is not great. Um, but then, you know, Penn State's, I know Michigan kind of ran all over them this week, but Penn State's defense, like Hayden mentioned earlier, shut down Ohio State outside of a one big Travion Henderson run. So it's very possible that he works his way out of the Heisman finalist. But I, I think he's really good. You know, that obviously is going to be key on the next two games. But for Maryland's sake, you know, they were just kind of taking and dunking everywhere, letting their good athletes get all over the field and make plays. So. You know, not much more to to say on this game other than I, I thought Michigan State looked pretty darn good on offense and their concerns on defense are still are still very much there. Feels like maybe the only way that they really shut down Kenneth Walker next week is if Ohio State jumps up big enough early. 
gives you that pass defense. But Hayden, let's go to you now. Takeaways from this game. Kenneth Walker, that guy's pretty good. Let's hear what you think. Was that one receiver for Michigan State out? Jalen Naylor? Yes. He was out last week. Is he done? Is he like done done? I don't know if he's done done, but uh, that I mean that would be massive for these next few weeks if he is done done. That is something that we need to keep an eye on for sure. Yeah, because I'm just I mean I'm looking through the stats here and I, he's not listed obviously, so he must not have played. You know, I, I guess offensively, this is what Michigan State needed to do, right? I mean they scored forty points, which anytime you do that on offense, you're going to take. Defensively, three hundred and fifty yards by. Tagovailoa, not great, but you know, we know Michigan's pass defense is very suspect, and they're ranked very poorly, Big Ten and nationally. Yeah, so last in the Big Ten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I guess I don't have much for this game. Michigan State did what they needed to do. Next week is going to be interesting, and and I don't know what the what the line will be. It'll come out here in a couple hours, and what the total is, but. I know we'll talk about Michigan State, Ohio State next week. It's going to be a huge game, but I, I don't know how they slow down Ohio State's offense with the way this defense is playing right now. Just wanted to give a little bit of updated Heisman odds right now. This was on November 8th. They have not updated this since the games yesterday, so keep that in mind. So the top five as it went was Bryce Young at number one at plus 200, Kenneth Walker at third at plus 400 in second, C.J. Stroud at plus 450 in third, Here's where you're going to start seeing a couple names that aren't going to be there anymore. Caleb Williams with Oklahoma. After that Baylor game yesterday, he was before it, he was at plus 550. I imagine now he's completely out of the realms. And then I I know I'm going to butcher the it, This is sad that I have to worry about butchering this. Matt Corral? Corral. I always say Coral. And I had to ask. But anyways, yeah, he was there at plus 650. And then there's a significant fall off. So I don't know how there's a scenario that, that Kenneth Walker III isn't there. Is yeah. next week an elimination? Not an elimination game, but like a uh, the tiebreaker, I guess, between Walker and Stroud? Well, ultimately, it is an elimination game as well in terms of the college football playoff. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, it, I don't think it's an elimination, but it can definitely give somebody a leg up for sure, whoever wins the game and whoever performs really well. But, yeah, I think those top three, because I've watched Matt Corral. I, I've watched Matt Corral a couple times this year, and I I don't know what in the world people see in that guy. Yeah, I think it's a three. QB1, baby. Yeah, between Bryce Young, Kenneth Walker III, and C.J. Stroud. But I think Bryce Young has a decent lead on everybody. Without straying too far, because I know this isn't Maryland-Michigan State, I heard an interesting comment in that Ohio State game yesterday And I just wanted to pose it before we wrap up and want to hear your guys' thoughts. But I think it was Greg McElroy, which, by the way, might just be my least favorite person on earth. But anyways, he did mention that if there was an offense in the country that could challenge the talent and the depth and the speed of Georgia's defense, it could be Ohio State's offense. And I wanted to hear what you guys would think a matchup like that would look like. Do you think this would be like the Buckeyes having to scratch and claw to try to get the... 24 points to make this a win or a winnable game. I just want to hear your guys' thoughts. See, I watched a little bit of Georgia yesterday too, and they're all, like, I don't understand how they're putting up points offensively. You know, they had 487 yards. I, I get Tennessee's defense. It's because they played Tennessee. 
I, I know, but it just seems like every single week they they put up last week 43, 34 the previous week, 30, 34, 37, 62. And I'm just like, one, I don't think Stetson Bennett is very good. And to answer your question, Wally, sorry, I'm getting off the track, off track here. But I think I think Alabama and Ohio State could very much beat Georgia. I do not think Georgia is invincible. They're going to be 12-0 and going into the uh, – like I said yesterday, Wally – or I don't know if that was in the group chat or not, but, you know, Georgia basically cleansed themselves a spot in the college football playoff, in my opinion, yesterday. They played two cupcake teams to end the year. But, sorry, got off track. Um, yes, Ohio State is one team that I think could really challenge Georgia's defense, and I think Alabama's the other one, too. They're both very explosive and both have really quality quarterbacks. Speaking of that, I know Georgia just – they clinched their – the. East, right? They, I mean, obviously. Yeah. They, How do they finish the season with Charleston Southern and Georgia Tech? How does the SEC like? How does that happen? That is such an advantage going into the postseason. That's unbelievable. It's, it's basically two buys. I completely agree with you. I mean, uh, Georgia Tech isn't shit. They're three. They could roll out a freshman team and win. Yes, I completely agree. Very good planning on the side of Georgia is what I've got to say to that, but. Yeah, uh, unbelievable. Yeah, between that and the, we saw it this week. It's usually like a Chattanooga or, or the Citadel. It was New Mexico State against Alabama this week. Do you want to point out there for the anti-SEC fans, which I'm sure if you're listening to a Big Ten podcaster out there, the florida Samford game had 35 points more in that football game than the Mary Mack Rutgers basketball game. Imagine Wally. Let's let's take a turn down this this horrible path that no one wants to go down. But imagine Ohio State in Florida shoes, and that happens. What is your reaction? I I mean, you just have to dissolve the school, right? I I don't I don't think that you even like start doing academics anymore. Just just goodbye. That's it. Shut it down. We're done. No more land grant. We're done. I guess since we got off. Off topic a little bit. Can we, can we talk about the what we expect out of the college football playoff rankings here a, a little bit, or do you guys gotta hit it? No, I'm good for another. 20 I have minutes about or so. 15 minutes. Perfect. We're All in right. the same well, spot, Hayden. Awesome. So I fully expect Arkansas to make a huge jump this week in the play in the college football playoff rankings. They beat a very very quality LSU team in overtime. This give that Bama boost, game. baby. And, yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to touch on here a little bit. With Ole Miss winning, I'm sure they're going to jump into the top 10 now. Texas A&M will probably drop to 15. Still, no, That's a quality loss. They should go up. Right, something like that. But, like, with how hot Wisconsin is playing right now, I that, that in my opinion, they should be the first three-loss team. But they're not going to be. I wouldn't be surprised if Arkansas jumps over them or if Texas A&M is still ahead of them. I, the, the bias toward the SEC is is on full display this year, and I guess that's really all I wanted to say on the college. What's your top ten? Maybe not ten, maybe six. Seven, I don't think it changes. I really don't. Alabama at two is just a projection more than anything, in my, in my opinion. I do think they are a top two talented team in the country. I would put Michigan and Michigan State ahead of Cincinnati. I know Cincinnati has a really quality win in Notre Dame, but, you know, I'm not a Notre Dame believer either. I know, like, you aren't, Hayden. But, for gosh, man, getting so off topic. Virginia did not play their starting quarterback against Notre Dame 
last night because that game meant absolutely nothing to Virginia, and and their quarterback was dinged up. And that's a kid that literally leads the the NCAA in passing yards and is up there with touchdowns and stuff. So that's another thing. Notre Dame fans are going to say, "Oh, we just beat a quality Virginia team." Well, that yeah, they literally sat their starting quarterback because that game meant absolutely nothing to them. I, I don't know. There's my little rant for the day, I guess. Georgia 1, Bama 2. I think Ohio State jumps Oregon this week. I think this is the week. Ohio State jumps Oregon 3, Oregon 4, Cincinnati 5, and then Michigan and Michigan State 6 and 7. Oklahoma, see ya! Yeah, see ya, Oklahoma. Uh, Hayden, why why do you think this is the week that Ohio State jumps Oregon? Because uh, in, in my opinion, I don't think it's this week. I think they're going to the committee is going to hold on to that Oregon head-to-head win as long as they can because Ohio State has two top ten opponents that they're going to face the next two weeks, and that is like the perfect reason, in my opinion, to leapfrog Oregon. I just think there's no rhyme or reason the committee does anything, and that's shown exactly in rankings six and seven. I mean, I, like I, I don't know. They, they played a head-to-head. I would have Oregon ahead of Ohio State. They won, right? Just like I would have Michigan State ahead of Michigan. Because Michigan State won. I I mean, I don't know. The committee makes no sense and does whatever they want anyway, so. Yeah, and speaking of, did you guys, I I doubt you had, but uh, Joel Klatt put together a video on YouTube, Fox Sports, whatever, that you should go check out. Um, He proposed a 12-team playoff and, like, all these different ways that he thinks that, you know, college football can still kind of keep the regular season importance there. It's only like a five-minute video. If you get a chance, I, I would take a look at that because I thought it was really interesting. I'll definitely go and, and look at that after we're done doing this. I'm not going to say too much on this just because I think we have just declared it between the three of us, but the only intrigue in these rankings now with Oklahoma losing is whether or not Ohio State jumps Oregon and whether or not Michigan and Michigan State jump Cincinnati. That's, I think, the only question here. And like you guys have both said, and I think the whole country has agreed, without the rhyme or reason, there's not really a consistent metric we can look at with this committee. They, I feel like each week they talk out of both sides of their mouth. So personally, I think that you're right that Ohio State won't jump Oregon yet. I think they'll wait until if Ohio State beats Michigan State. But I think Michigan and Michigan State, watch it be something weird, like Michigan jumps Cincinnati, but they don't have Michigan State jump Cincinnati. I could see something weird like that happening as well. But for me, we're all pretty much in the same, I guess, headspace here on the rankings. But that is going to bring us to the end of another episode of Pigskins and Nylon. We will be back later this week to preview the upcoming Week 12 slate and talk a little bit more Big Ten basketball and Big Ten football as well. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at P&NPod, Facebook at P&NPod, and also Instagram at P&NPod pod was a little bit of a long episode i get it but this is the fun part of the year we like to talk about this stuff so bear with us we'll go to i guess whichever one of you wants to give us a final thought first today all i was gonna say originally was about the college football playoff and with that gone i got nothing for you i'm i'm really excited for this week ahead like we mentioned earlier there are a lot of really good basketball games on during the week and then obviously we have the huge matchup where game day is going to be next week, Ohio State and Michigan State. So really looking forward to that. And I'm really interested to see what the spread is here in a couple hours. I I think, I don't know when it comes out, but Hayden usually gives us a little text on that. 
And that's because Michigan State is one of the better teams against the spread this year. They're 7-2-1 and one against the spread, so something to keep an eye on. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess that's my that's my final thoughts. Excited for the week. And it's the last week before Thanksgiving break, so really excited about that, too. My final thought is a question to both of you, and it can be a one-word answer. Who, after the next two weeks, who is the Big Ten East champ? Ohio State. I think the Big Ten champ comes out of the Big Ten East, no matter who it is. And I also think it's Ohio State. There you have it, folks. But And, and I mean, it's going to be well, well, well earned if they win these next two games. So here's my hot take. Here, you you want to hear this? Well, I'll get into the hot takes already. Ohio State's going to beat the brakes off Michigan State. That They, they can't stop a nosebleed. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Ohio State's got to play a clean game, that's for sure. But, you know, Michigan State's offense is very, very capable of putting up some points too. So I, I think it could be – It could be, be the exact same as this week. Yeah, good. Yeah, wouldn't be, sho- wouldn't be shocked, I guess. I agree with you, though. It's going to be very well earned. The Big Ten East this year has – it's been ridiculous. And it's been a lot of fun to watch. And with what, the I guess, the matchups of having – Ohio State have to go through Michigan State and Michigan both on the road here. Crazy. And what and what really sucks about it is is that Penn State is a really a, a pretty good team. And had they not slipped up against Il- Illinois, they, they would be sitting at seven and three right now. And you could be able to look at that game from both Michigan and Ohio State's perspective and really kind of hang your hat on that being a quality win. But instead, they they lose in nine overtimes and they're sitting there at six and four. So. Like I said, it was a quality win when Ohio State beat them. It's not anymore because they have that extra loss. It's just, it's just how it works. <laughs> right. Oh, shoot. You're funny. Say something nice about Illinois. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you back here next week for episode 40 of Pigskins and Nylon. <laughs>